Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If a god of love and life ever did exist, he is long since dead. Someone, something rules in his place. Hey, sinners, I'm Shannon. And I'm Sean. And this is Sinful Cuts. Yay! Welcome to episode eight. Episode eight is nice and stabby. Oh, so exciting. Yes, very stabby. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> With a great score. The best is going to, this is leaving it open to contentious remarks, but maybe the most famous stabby? Yeah, I would say so. Or at least like the- Most memorable. At least the in my opinion. origination of Super Stabby. I agree. All right, cool. I agree. I'm say best Stabby ever. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that. And guess what, gang? We're doing Psycho. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You know, even though it's not really much of a surprise because you're gonna see it on the contents page, but that's okay. Oh shoot. Okay. If you're listening <laughs> to this, hide your eyes and just randomly press buttons if you wanted to be surprised. <laughs> I think this is a good time to do this though, because when we started this podcast, we we kind of like dove into some of our like childhood classics um, that we wanted to talk about. Uh, that that we're coming around with like their milestone anniversaries, mm-hmm. or if we just you know love them so much to talk about. And then we decided to talk about some like newer ones that uh, you know were only like a year, right? Because they had, had time to simmer, make its way around the theatric run, the streaming run. Yeah, so, I feel like we've covered. We basically have all our bases covered of. Newer content, some you know, seventy stuff, some eighty stuff, and now we're getting into some, yeah. um, some like originals. And but and you, well, you said you were in the mood for like a black and white yeah. one, and I'm like, oh, well, we got to go for like the mothership, then you know. I mean, obviously, there's been many, many, many black and white films before 1960, <laughs> but this one is just like you said, it's the mothership, and also. We had so much fun when we were recording um, Halloween H2O, and there was that scene with Janet Lee and Jamie Lee It was Curtis. on the mind, yeah. yeah it felt right. Absolutely. So, slam dunk. So, yeah, so gang, we're, we're going to get into it. Um, look, we're not going to really do a thorough summary of the movie, because it's psycho, and if you haven't watched it, I 
can't help you. <laughs> oh, please go watch it. Yeah, I just please yep. go watch it. But for those of you who who maybe haven't, um, uh, if you uh, for, forget your actual college to high school homework yes <laughs> forget <Yeah>. it <laughs> forget everything forget your family forget your loved ones just listen to the dulcet towns of my voice right now because i'm going to take you through the quickest summary in cinema history a woman steals forty thousand dollars she then drives away to what uh toward the destination of her lover's uh bungalow in california through a lot of creepy male aggression <laughs> she turns off the road at the bates motel and gets horrifically mur murdered by norman bates have you heard of him and then the rest of the film is uh the lover and the woman's sister trying to find out what happened to this poor uh woman who sold the forty thousand dollars and a private investigator also gets killed and then we get the worst exposition explanation dump in cinema history with this <laughs> a lot of movies did, a lot of movies did that, the, by the way but the just it. forgive it <laughs> it's yeah we have we got a lot to say about it but that's it in a nutshell woman steals woman gets murdered uh killer gets found out and it uh, also happens to be one of the greatest not only horror movies but one of the greatest movies in cinema history so ladies and gentlemen site 1960 psycho directed by alfred hitchcock Maybe you've heard of them. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place it looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that... We're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? as if there's something wrong. She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother! What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. She wouldn't even harm a fly. Uh, so you know what? Let's just let's just get into it. Uh, I've seen Psycho a couple of times um, on TV, you know, uh, through streaming, and back in the day on VHS. Um, I saw it once in the theater. Jen and I actually went a couple of years ago. Um, I feel that she was bored to tears. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I love rewatching this film. I'm gonna honestly. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something though. I think for me, 
I know that the past couple of podcasts, I'm a real, I'm adamantly saying, go and see these movies on the big screen, see them on the big screen. Saw Psycho on the big screen. Guess what? I like it better on an intimate setting. Um, okay. At home. Okay. For me, and again, just my opinion, for me, it works better in that darkened, you know, like I said, more intimate setting on a good, you know, high resolution TV. I don't know. I saw it on the big screen and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But because I knew what was going to happen, I just constantly kept thinking about, God damn it, if I were in the theater in 1960, having never seen anything like this, this would have twisted my brain until it came out of my skull. The marketing for it, too, back then was very, very extensive. Very William way. Castle. Very Tingler. Like, yeah. don't give this ending away. If you show up and you try and leave the theater, we won't let you. No, sorry. I have that wrong. If you show up late, we won't let he, you well, in. Yeah, they, they were not allowed in once the movie started. Oh, I just, I kind of love that. Um, I love that, that showmanship of the movies. Your attention, please. During every suspenseful moment of the running of the motion picture macabre, the life of everyone in the theater will be insured by Lloyd's of London for $1,000 against death by fright. However, even Lloyd's of London will not grant coverage for any person with a known heart condition or for suicide by any member of the audience. Which is kind of funny because we had a little bit of it this summer with um, Barbenheimer, particularly the Barbie movie, yes. where the theater going experience was more of like a, like a group event. Okay. And yeah, a dress up, group yeah. event, a night out. Yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of cosplay, a little bit of group event. Like you were basically before you even left the house, you were super into it because you were preparing for the movie, and I think that adds to it. I just look. I have I, I have FOMO for the movies of the fifties and sixties, like all of Vincent Price's works and all of William Castle's stuff and Roger Corman's stuff, where you it was just an event, you know, like you went to the movies and it was something special. Not that it isn't now. I mean, I just it's my favorite thing to do, um, but. There's something to be said about that kind of participation, which we don't have now. Like, could you imagine being in the movies, watching the Tingler, and your seats starts to, starts to like, like I think it was like a like a vibrate or yeah. like, or like I, I don't know if it was like air pockets maybe under your feet or something like. I mean, it's like the Disney experience now. I mean, like that's that's the you know the someone strings up a bat to fly through the air in the theater. I mean, look, <laughs> you couldn't, I guess, I guess you couldn't do that now because it might be spoiled to a certain degree. I mean, they do have the seats. They do have the seats over at the Regal, which buck and pitch yeah. and spray stuff it's at like you. It's like a 4D experience. Yeah. For, yeah. It, it's, it's fun. It is. It, it's an experience. That's all I can really say about that. It, it, it's definitely, it's great for the right movie, I think. I like how we're both talking about it. Like that sucks. Okay. <laughs> it's not the same. The, the, it's the the pricing of it. I think if you just wanted to see a movie, that that's what it is. That's so true. Yep, if you want that experience, more. just just know you're gonna pay more. That's all. If you just want a night out with your popcorn, then just 
Yeah. So by all means, <laughs> just go like a normal person. <laughs> let's let's stick a pin in this for now because I want to once I want to talk about a couple of themes and I want to talk about a couple of things that really stand out to me on this viewing of the movie. Mm-hmm. Let's circle back around to the theater going experience because I really do feel like that's such a huge part of Psycho because this was in the states this was a very unique animal for its time. The reason I say in the states though is because one of the things I want to talk about is that Psycho came out in 1960, and then Michael Powell's Peeping Tom came out in the UK in 1960. Okay. Have you ever seen Peeping Tom? I actually have not. Check out Peeping Tom. Okay. Some of the same. It's it, it it really does have a lot of the same voyeuristic themes to it, except Powell's Peeping Tom is says to Hitchcock, "Hold my beer," and takes this fucking thing to 11 wow it's a it's an incredibly well-made movie it's really good it is considered a genre classic now and it effectively ended michael powell's career sergeant i've been on the force 30 odd years and I've never seen such fear on anyone's face as on this girl's. What was it she saw? Mark, are you crazy? Yes. You think they'll notice? <laughs> Is that job from upstairs? Did you read about that girl that was murdered last night? Same thing nearly happened to me. Oh, when? Last night. You've gone out without that. Without what? That camera. You belong there. I feel as if I know him. Now, darling. It's here. like rode out on a rail in the UK they because that you know their attitude which is very surprising that you know let's let's be honest it was the 1960s in the states you know it certainly wasn't you know it, it was a very conservative attitude but for some reason I think because of Hitchcock his previous movies especially Rear Window with that voyeuristic but also playful fun to it with Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. It's almost like it's voyeurism, but hey, look, it's Jimmy Stewart and it's Grace Kelly. So it's it's fine. Like it's totally cool. You don't have, you're not a creep. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to Psycho and then Hitchcock's having some fun and he's just like, "No, you know what? You, you are you, a creep. You be be a creep." Yeah. But cause... you're my creep. You know? And then it's a, how it's a special kind of creep. Powell's like, "Yeah, I'm going to try that too." And I have all, I I have I have a lot of the skill that Hitchcock has. Pal had directed um, uh, Black Narcissus and had directed The Red Shoes, so he was a very famous director in his own right. Okay. But then he tried something different, and they were like, 
<laughs> What's this now? We're going to murder you. <laughs> so, poor guy. That's crazy. I mean, he must have been looking at Hitchcock like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I can't do it in a British accent, but that's what he was saying. Um, and then Hitchcock, and this becomes his seminal work, and... and, and you know, put he, some more on the map. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just... It, it's, it's like a landmark film. So, anyway, check out... And Sinner's... You know, by all means, check out Peeping Tom. Um, let me know your thoughts. I'm actually really excited about it. I just looked it up, and um, hopefully it's still on by the time we post this episode. But um, it, as of now, it looks like it's on Tubi. Cool. As of now. Very, oh, God, I love Tubi. I love, love Tubi, Tubi as There's well. There's so much great content. Yeah, great, you I need mean, older movies. It, Tubi's definitely a way to go. I gotta stop saying content. I sound like a f- douchebag. <laughs> There's so many great movies on Tubi. <laughs> You can really go down a rabbit hole because they have my favorite feature, which is you put a movie in and it's you may also like. And then I plan on watching a two hour movie and then I spend two hours just continually (laughs) going down the you may like and then adding that to my watch list and yet never watching the movie. But anyway, (laughs) this podcast is not about my problems. (laughs) So so anyway, check out Peeping Tom and oh, uh. I got a shout out to my daughter Reagan uh, started uh, her film class and uh, the teacher is Miss Santangelo uh, Miss Santangelo we see you we're not, <laughs> we're not I don't mean that in a creepy way don't fail my daughter please <laughs> but she had a great recommendation when I told Reagan to tell her that we were doing Psycho she said a, a perfect pairing would be Diabolic or Diabolique uh the French movie. Yes, you I've heard. It? I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but I know. I know of that. Of that one. I saw it. It's well worth your time. Okay. There's a fairly shitty remake. Um, that if I'm not, I hope mis- that's the one I'm thinking of. Then. <laughs> mis- oh, I think it's got Sharon Stone in. But anyway, uh, don't don't do the remake. Do the original. Okay. The French film. It's real good, and it is a. You know what? Miss Santangelo, we see you and we appreciate you because that is a perfect pairing with Psycho. So if you want to go for the trifecta, Diabolique, Psycho, 1955 and on Max. Sweet. <clears throat> yeah, or, oh, on Max. Who's better than you? I you mean... hear that, Sinners? <laughs> HBO Max. There you go. And um, I just realized that I need to stop doing the movie phone voice too. <laughs> do you like HBO Max? Of course you do. <laughs> you Diabolique. Don't, you don't want to be the movie phone guy? Playing at two o'clock. Well, why don't you just tell me what movie you want to see? But I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited to, to watch those two movies. <laughs> They're really, really good. Um, just it, it, Look, it's, like I said, really good pairings with, uh, with Psycho. But with that said, all right, so that's your homework if you want to dine out on some good movies. There you mm-hmm. go. Okay, boy, oh boy, where the hell do I start with this? Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. Yeah. All right, so on this viewing, unlike other viewings, and I don't know why it really stood out to me this time, it really hit me that, um, that Psycho is a film noir for the first 40 minutes. Very we, much so. So Marion Crane steals... Uh, 40 grand from this piece of shit uh, uh, businessman uh, who uh, is going to build a house for his daughter for her wedding and he is creepy and he sits on her desk with his ass print right there and I I can't stand that Um, but uh, right off the bat we really have the oh my gosh am I going to pronounce this word correctly because you know I'm a mush mouth the 
objectification. Okay. Did I do that? It sounds right. It does sound right. Yeah, I'll take it. Okay. The objectification <laughs> of Marion Crane, which we are already complicit to because the first shot of the movie takes us through the blinds into her little love nest at the cheap motel with Sam, um, who I, this is a me thing, but I can't fucking stand Sam. And I also can't stand Lila. And, well... This movie would be better if Norman killed both of them and got away with everything. And I, I'm just going to go out on a limb. You're like, I'm just going to plant that right here. But I'm going to circle back to that, too. So so we're already complicit in the objectification of Marion because we go through the blinds and we're peeping and we're a voyeur. And then she goes to the bank and now we have the rest of society is objectifying her because this businessman is gross and he he's almost like 40 grand by you. Like he's implying that. And good on Marion. She's like, you know what? I just, my life's going nowhere. I'm going to steal this money and I'm going to create a new life. And you know what? I'm here for it. It sounds like a great plan to me. <laughs> I don't think she thought about the the uh, the, the after steps. It honestly, was crazy it was impulsive. her lover uh, Sam Loomis was was his name. You know, like he's obviously going through a divorce. He's uh, or like he was waiting, I think, for his divorce to get finalized. Yeah. And but she, then he can't afford she, she anything because he's paying the alimony. Yes, yeah. So she's basically paying for everything. I'm sure she paid for the hotel room. I think she does mention that um, for the meetings. But she's so much in love with him that they just want to get married. Um, and she just you know doesn't. Whatever alimony be damned, she she just wants to have a start a new life with him. So she seizes the opportunity, um, yeah, to stick it to the man or this particular man <laughs> anyway, and uh, yeah, steal his forty thousand dollars because she has the opportunity to take it and go to the bank, and uh, yeah. And, and what's an interesting shot about this, if you remember, so uh, when you first see uh, uh, the very first shot is Marion and Sam in their hotel room, and if you mm -hmm. remember. She is, I'm wondering, was this scandalous back then too? Yeah. Because she was in lingerie. Super scandalous. Which, I mean, yeah. So she, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bra and like the, like the slip dress. So it really wasn't anything that crazy. Weird. So, and it, yeah, I don't know. But either way, I digress. Anyway, so she, you see her in that uh, lingerie, right? And it's white. Okay, because she's an innocent, and 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 Alfred Hitchcock does does say this in like a you know I don't know there's like a thousand documentaries I think on, on this movie by this point of time, but he mentions that afterwards after she leaves her job, um and goes oh I'm going to deposit this money uh um at the bank and then I'll see you guys on Monday. So obviously this is happening on a Friday. Yeah, I don't know why that's important. I just felt the need to say that. Shannon, I'm sorry. I just looked it up because I'm like, how are we? How are we? Have we even seen Annette Funicello in a bikini yet? That's not till 65. Right? This was crazy scandalous. Right? At yeah. the time, yeah. And, and But he, uh, I don't know why he decided to choose lingerie. I guess maybe for a shock value. Yet that is very Hitchcockian, yeah. I guess-esque uh, to pull, to, to do that. But, um, but either way, so she takes the money, right? And now she's uh, in her, I think in her, I'm assuming in her apartment, um, packing <laughs> and uh, planning the, to run away with this money. And now she's in black lingerie. Yeah. So that was like, that was a purposeful, um, just little cinematic um, little thing for you. Because that... you can't be a film noir protagonist and be in white lingerie. 
And also, Sinners, again, you gotta you have to view this film through a 1960s lens because a lot of you might be like, well, what's the big deal? Why can't she just go to Sam's place and shack up there? Why do they have to meet in a cheap motel? Because this is 1960. If she can't, she can't go into Sam's bachelor pad because... The neighbors, the neighbors would talk. The... Oh, my God. Oh, They'd yeah. be like, where do you think you're going, hussy? Yeah. The, you know? the wives don't work, really. If you're married, like, yeah, you all the wives are home. Yeah. Like, who the, who's this hussy, you know, going yeah. in and out of the house? And... We don't like whores. In our town, <laughs> poor Marion. <laughs> she she got the short end of the stick. I mean, granted, poor decision making, but it doesn't pay to be an attractive woman in Phoenix <laughs> in 1960. No, it really doesn't. So she takes the money and run and yeah. run, runs. Uh, plural. Uh, so she hotfoots it out of Phoenix. Um, and uh, on the road. Oh, by the way, this is where we have to really point out the Bernard Herman score. This movie is so incredibly good. It was it was delightful. The score and the cinematography really do take you by the hand, and they pull you or gently push you in every single direction that Hitchcock wants you to go to. You may think you have free will when you're watching this movie. You don't. You don't. Just from the very first scene of slipping under the blinds and seeing their little, little their trist in their love nest. You're already complicit to, you know, what's going on. And now um, we get a lot of great shots of Marion in her car with the score. And it's kind of amping up the anxiety and the tension that Marion's feeling because this was a very impulsive decision. Right. Um, I'm all for it, but she hits the road. She pulls over, um, goes to sleep for the night, is woken up in the morning by the creepiest state trooper on all of film. He really is. I, I'm wondering if like the T-1000 in Terminator 2 took insight from this guy. Because he's, I mean, the blankest face I've ever seen. Shannon's in my notes. <laughs> he's the fucking T-1000. He's, I, first of all, his head is like Easter Island. <laughs> this dude's head in the window is so gigantic with those typical cop shades. He's, he's very close to the camera in this shot. And you're just like, huh? Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's super effective because you're kind of like you're leaning back in the theater, like could you get out of my face? And you know, he's just demanding where you know where is she going and what's the, what's her business and let me see your license. And then she takes off, but now she's crazy rattled, um, and she goes and to a car lot and she swaps out her car, and now. The salesman there, now he, he he actually isn't objectifying her, but then when he sees her, the cop pulls up, she notices the cop is now watching her across the street, now he's kind of like, what's the deal here? Yeah, what's happening, it's, but yeah. I mean, he still, it doesn't stop him from making the deal and taking the money in cash. 
<laughs> I can say this because I work in sales. And to all my sales centers out there, the most real thing in this movie <laughs> is that the salesman, knowing the cop is probably, she's wanted for murder or worse, still continues with the sale yeah. of the car. Yeah. And I'm going to complete like, the sale no matter what. Yeah, this checks out. So, <laughs> so now she's got the new car and she takes off and um, there's a uh, torrential rain and sure enough, where she pull over the Bates, Bates Motel. Motel. And now she <laughs> encounters Norman, who unlike a lot of the men that she's encountered in the past 24 hours, is a, a kind of a sympathetic character. He's very um, he's very disarming because, you know, look, it's Anthony Perkins. I mean, he's 98 pounds soaking wet, yeah. and he's charming in a boyish way, but also awkward in that way because she's very pretty, and I think she can tell her effect on him because um, he he's... He is, I don't want to say childlike. That's not the right term. No, he, I mean, before this movie came out, um, I, I, I'm going to not remember much of them at the moment, but he was kind of known as more of like a, I don't know, I don't want to necessarily say heartthrob, but he did. He had a charm to him that uh, very much changed once this movie came yeah. out. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the, his fans uh, were like, I mean, he eventually embraced it, and I think he used it to his advantage, because Anthony Perkins does go on to direct Psycho 3, mm -hmm. which, by the way, Sinner, Psycho 2 and Psycho 3, I'm a fan. Okay. I like the that trilogy right there. It stops for me after that, but... There's a lot of there's a lot of fun to be had with Psycho Two and Psycho Three because I think it's there's a tongue in cheek quality to it, but they're also stand on their own as 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 good well made horror films. Um, can they? It's like our Jaws Two dilemma. If there wasn't a Psycho, these movies would be viewed through a different lens okay. and possibly better. Um, but but they're fun. Check them out. You know, geez, now you've got. Four movies in total to watch. Yeah. <laughs> before I see you next week, you, you don't go to work you, this week. You may have six more before we end this recording. <laughs> yeah, let's see. If we, yeah, let's make see if we can make it an even ten. <laughs> yeah. So, so I see your challenge. So you've got this. Um, <clears throat> you've, you've you've got a character now who, unlike the um the businessman, the tycoon, and the police officer, who were very aggressive in their approach to Marion and her personal space. Norman's not like he's very, he, he defers to her and he's very polite and he's, and he is, he's charming in his own boy. That's what I meant to say. He's not childlike. He's boyish. Okay. Yeah. He, he's disarming in his own boyish way. And which comes very prominent when she realizes that he's tending to his mother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm making a face as I'm saying that. You can use your imagination there. Yep. yep. But, so, uh, <laughs> so this this brings me to the first point that so, I wanted to make. So it makes her feel pretty comfortable, I think. Yeah. Ironically, even though like the mother is very aggressive, she you know feels bad. She's like treading on their territory in a way, but but she feels that she uh, I'm going to do this sooner. She feels that she's found her port in a storm. Mm -hmm. because in the past 24 hours with her impulsive decision, she does, she can finally, she's finally found a place that's not the side of the road where she could lay her head down and actually think clearly for a hot minute. Yeah. You know, maybe get a little food, maybe take a shower. Bad idea. Mm. Bad idea. 
Uh, <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. Yes. Um, yeah, this movie did for showers what Jaws did for all bodies of water. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for the ocean. <laughs> so, in my research for the film, and there's a lot out there, sinners, you know, you can definitely dine out on a lot of critiques, um, and th this one stood out for me. So, there was, uh, when the film came out, Andrew Sars in the Village Voice, he stated that you should see Psycho three times. The first time, just for the experience of, of seeing the movie cold and the shock value and the terror. Okay. And getting complete enjoyment out of that. And the second time for the macabre comedy of it. Because now you know the story, so you see the beats along the way and 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 the futility of everything that Marion's doing, knowing her ultimate demise. And then Norman's you know, haphazard way he handles everything from the moment he kills Marion to when Arbogast shows up. And, like, that point of diminishing returns between him getting away with with his murders and then his ultimate comeuppance and, and what that looks like. And there is a lot of comedy to be had there. It is dark comedy, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, uh, but I like that interpretation of the second viewing and then the third viewing is my favorite for all of the hidden hidden meanings and the metaphors and all of those things that you can now look for because you know you've seen the movie twice and you know what's happening and you've gotten the 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 themes but you can start looking for the visual cues yes. which I really love which I think I actually got this time around at this point I don't know how many times I've seen Psycho I've definitely seen it quite a few times but watching it just recently it, um, I think I got more, like, I think I was focusing more on Anthony Perkins's demeanor and how he portrayed, um, the character of Norman and it's everything he's saying, his, his, I, I for some reason, like, I, I don't think I noticed quite so much in the past as opposed to the last time, his facial expressions, yes. how, like, because what, what was interesting that I, yeah, what was really interesting that I finally realized because obviously the, again, we're going to spoil it if you don't know the spoiler already is that obviously he has dual personalities it's it's very prominent in today's uh day especially now with um bates motel show yeah. if you've seen that great show by the way i loved it oh loved it too absolutely loved it yep but we'll circle back uh so but if you actually really watch his facial expressions as he's talking to marion after he serves her uh you know the sandwiches and they're talking in the parlor of um you know his little um the hotel area the motel area he, you could tell, like, he kind of, like, leaves for a second. Like, he, he, like, like, and then he'll come back to her, and then he'll smile again. That parlor scene is my favorite scene of the movie. And I it's would... taken me all these viewings to, 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 I mean, the shower scene is iconic, and I, and I truly love yeah. that, but that parlor scene, there's so much going on there. There really Visually, was. and the dialogue. And the music. And I didn't realize that of. as much as, you know, just, you know, you just, it was like a little moment you had with them getting to know each other as this makes sense. But I didn't realize how poetic that scene was meant to be. Yeah. You understand? I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace... You mean an institution? A madhouse? 
People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. <laughs> what do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. And the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself, but I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. You. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got um you've got two characters in a small room with nothing but secrets. As visually the room is has these stuffed birds of prey, especially that fucking owl with the with the wings stretched out. It's right you know in the background over Norman's shoulder, but it's directed at um at Janet Lee. And it just, I mean, it's just like, oh my God, you've got, you've got these, these predators swooping down and, and Norman is a predator in his own right. And Marion is the prey unbeknownst to her. And it's just like, it's so great. Oh my God. I just love it so much that like, okay, it took me a while to get there viewing after viewing after viewing, <laughs> but I see it now what Hitchcock was trying to do that it's just this masterful little chamber piece of these two characters and they almost want to spill their secrets to each other. You know, I mean, Norman really beats around the bush as to like, you know, he, what his life is and he desperately wants to be well, you know, yeah. he just desperately wants to be well, but he knows that he can't because of what he's done. And what he's going to do. Right. Because the more the conversation goes on, you know, he doesn't want to leave. Because I think he knows, like, they'll stay with me and talk longer, talk longer. Because even though he's got a smile on his face and he's very charming, I think he knows because he's attracted to her, because there's this sexual desire, he's got to kill her now. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just the tripping point for him. Right. Um and then we, we'll come to find out later on in the movie that there have been other women that have gone missing. And, the, you know, a psychiatrist says at the end, like, you know, if you you should drain the swamp. You're, do you have any missing people? And the sheriff says, yeah, we've got some missing girls. And, you know, you know that, especially after he kills Marion, 
you know, Norman very quickly and efficiently takes care of the body, and you're like, well, this isn't your first rodeo. Right, you know? exactly. He, he, he almost seemed to know... Yeah. Even though he looked panicked in the moment, but he he knew exactly what to do. Yeah. It, it was more like muscle memory, it, lo- it looked like. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's panicked because he's like, what has Mother done, slash what have I done? Mm-hmm. And the, there's that great shot of him with the hand over the mouth and his back against the wall, and... I just so there's just so many great beats in this movie, but I want to stay I want to stay in the parlor for a moment longer though because, you know, there's also Marion. You know, Marion is it, she's talking, she's talking it out, in a very vague way, with Norman about the traps that 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 people find themselves in or set for the for, for themselves, which they both done. You know, Norman made a very conscious decision to kill his mother and her lover, and Marion's made a very conscious decision to take that forty grand. Now, Norman can't undo what he's done, but Marion can, yes, and she, she can. comes to that conclusion. Yeah. And it's a little heartbreaking because we go from that parlor scene where you can see it happening in the moment where she's like, you know what, I've got time to correct the mistakes I've made. And then she then she, you know, she thanks Norman for the for the sandwiches and, and goes and takes that faithful shower and she and the water's hitting her and it's washing away what she's done. And there's a smile on her face, and there's that determination that she has of like, all right, I'm gonna I, come what may, I'm going to correct the mistake that I've made, yeah, and and take my. Didn't she write like an apology letter right before well, that, or she she because no, she, she is sitting on a writing desk writing something. She was doing her her oh. tabulations on I've spent this much, so I'll have oh, to, have to pay this, this back. Ah, oh, right, 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 okay, yes. But, but she's doing it in her head. She's going, okay, all right, you know, come what may, I'll pay this money back. This is the hole that I'm in, and I'll make this right. And she's literally putting it on paper, and she tears it up. That's right, because she, she bought the car. She bought, yeah. And she takes that shower. And, and it is that cathartic moment for her of the water it's, and clean water and it's washing away the guilt and the shame of what she's done and she's going to make everything right. And then we see through that transparent shower curtain the, a figure in black and the which rest is, is history. Which is frightening. Could you it's have... still frightening to me. like because it's So there's no score right in this moment. Uh, not until the shower curtain is pulled. Um, so yeah, so we're, uh, uh, yeah, we're, um, getting into the friggin' iconic scene, but it, I remember like, it is always so creepy. Yeah. Just seeing, just yeah. movement in the background through the curtain. She seems, she's very, very unaware. You don't even hear the door open.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You got the shower going, so you don't hear the door open. Uh, I want to get this right. I want to get this right, Shen. So there is a great documentary. Uh, um, shoot, shower scene, (laughs) uh, psycho documentary. Uh, tell me it's called psycho documentary. (laughs) It's called shower, shower scene, psycho. It's called 7852, which an in-depth look at the screen murder that profoundly changed world cinema. The iconic shower scene in Alfred Hitchcock's psycho, which was composed of 78 setups and 52 cuts. So, if I were good at podcasting and my job, I would have watched this. But I'm going to. So, Sinners, to. let's hit another movie. So, where are we at now? We're at Peeping Tom. And Diabolic. 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 And Psycho 2 and 3. And now we're, and all right, we're at 5 now. <laughs> we're at 5 with the documentary set, uh, 75... 52. God, oh, I'm going to watch the shit out of oh, this. Oh, I'm excited about that. Also, oh, I'm sorry. I have to. And I'm, I apologize for this. Um, after you watch 7852, um, watch Room 237, the Shining documentary. Six. <laughs> and it's so goddamn good. I oh, think I've seen that. That so... was really good. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No. Shower scene. Have at it. Okay, so, the, so if you want a little... Well, not spoiler, really, but uh, but I do know yeah, that... Yeah, fucker. That's... This movie is 211 years old. If you haven't seen Psycho, go listen to Smartless. Do it! <laughs> All right, so the, so this took seven days to shoot, this film, uh, this scene, because... Unfortunately. Well, 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 you said, like, 50, 50... 78 setups, 52 cuts, yeah. That's 78 70, setups! There, there were multiple, multiple angles to capture Ooh, this wait, one... Wait, time out for one sec. Time out for one second. Hey, I'm I'm literally doing a timeout. By the way, we're eventually going to be on video, and you'll find us on YouTube, and I'm literally doing the timeout. (laughs) And hopefully we're as delightful. Think about about the titillation in 1960. Of, of a woman in the shower. Yo, yeah. Ooh, yeah. And and apparently also seeing a toilet flush. Yeah. There was a toilet flushing. Oh, and, I'm and sorry. that was... <gasps> Gasp! We've also <laughs> completely left out the fact that Norman, after Marion leaves and goes into her room... Oh, and, he has... Uh, a, him peeping. Speaking of peeping Tom, he's, yeah. peep, he's, he has a peephole. Uh, every time I say peeping, I think of, um, of the great Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Talented Mr. Ripley. It's my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> 
How's the peeping, Tommy? <laughs> Tommy! How's the peeping? Tommy? How's the peeping? Tommy, 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 Tommy. Here's... I'm going to say that to the right individual. <laughs> so here we have, here we have um, uh, uh, Hitchcock, who made us a voyeur with the very first fucking shot of the movie now he's bringing us back and making us an unwilling voyeur because no we don't want to we don't want to look at marion in the shower or maybe we do <laughs> oh you 1960s creeps ew we don't see anything though but now he's making us we were like a willing participant in the beginning of the movie it's fun times fun times what's what's behind this window because we didn't know but now we know marion's in that room and we're along with Norman or peeping, and now it's not fun. Now it's super creepy. Yeah. And then it gets downright. It, it just stabby, gets murderous. gets murdery. <laughs> so all right, all right, just so. throw something at pick up Charlie and th- physically throw him at me and tell me to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Please continue. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but so yeah, so we have the multiple angles. We it, it was just like just everything. With this scene, it was just it, it it was so on purpose and it was so unsettling. The um, you know, like her, like like I, I think that, and I'm wondering about the drain too because you remember how it ends like with with the water just circling down the drain. You see a little bit of blood, yeah, go with it because you rarely see blood. That was what what was crazy about this scene is how frightening it is. And how not gory it is. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, that I think actually, as you know, after a week's wor- worth of work, Hitchcock still wasn't satisfied with this whole scene. Like, I guess he, he had a very specific vision, but until he heard Bernard Herrmann's score with yeah. it, he's like, oh, this, this, this is it. And, and then he knew he had his his scene. I just uh, I, uh, sinners. That was me with my own human mouth <laughs> doing that sound. So that wasn't the Bernard Herman score. That was me. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man of Why didn't you get? Why didn't you get into into music doing acapella? A lot of people call me the human beatbox <laughs> of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we have. Oh, uh, just to circle back on your point, um, Hitchcock had the the foresight to know that if he shot this in color, it was going to be problematic. He wanted. He was coming off of Vertigo, and he wanted, um, which was very stylized and rear window very stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, he only spent eight hundred thousand, which was not a lot of money, even in nineteen sixty, for this movie. It cost eight hundred grand to make. He didn't use his film crew because he wanted a purposeful, low-budget look, so he used his TV. Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV crew. Oh, wow. And, yeah, he wanted a grainier, which it is. It's super grainy. It's, it's very beautiful. And it's, and it's effective. Yeah, very beautiful to, to watch, but it is super grainy, which adds to, to the low-budget um, aesthetic of it. And it was, it was a purposeful choice because he's like, if I shoot this in color, that scene... It's no bueno. I don't. I don't think it would have worked in color. I, I think he. Well, was it right. didn't for Gus Van Zandt. I mean, you know, shot for shot remake, yeah. and you know, look, I love Gus Van Zandt all day long, but that was that one's yeah. a head scratcher. You, yeah, well, you, you know, you, you tried. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I, let me shut up. You it, never, you, tr- you tried, you never, you know, I, I well, yeah, because you know, they always say you never know until you try. Maybe yeah. it would have been, but no, it, it, it was, I, I liked the grainier look of it because it, and again, like I was saying, like there, you really don't see any gore, you don't see any blood, you don't see actual stabbing because it didn't fucking need it. It did, it did not. It, the whole scene was unsettling. Let's talk about the stabbing. Because at this very moment, you give birth to three decades worth of, well, yeah, I mean, three decades worth of, of slashers. Not so much during the 60s, although you do have some examples. I guess I'm going to say Blood and Black Lace, but that, I got to check the date on that. But, but certainly in the start of the 70s, ending at 78 with Halloween, and then every friggin' year of the 80s up into probably about 90 i mean i i would take this all the way up to about what do you think the run of slashers goes to mid 90s i mean certainly early 90s we were still it was petering out but we still had we still had slasher movies yeah no they were they were still pretty prominent i i think i think it was more so of the you know upteenth sequel of maybe the original crap i mean it is scream in 96 oh that is 96 you're right you're right which which i think want to say brought that back yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so the point i'm making is we have this iconic moment in slasher history with this kill which shannon to your point we never see the knife go in we only we we only see blood go down the drain and not even a lot of it janet lee's outstretched hand that's going for the shower curtain does not even have blood on it there's no blood going down the back of the wall as she slides down i mean it is but it's one of the most effective if not the most effective kill in cinema history yeah you know yeah um yeah i mean it just it gave birth to it gave birth to a lot of creativity in the horror world. I also don't think it, it, anybody really expected it because, again, just the way it all played out is the okay. So, like now, we we already established that you know Norman was kind of weird. We already established, but but again, you like you said, boyish and, and innocent, and oh, he takes care of his mother. You know, like, she seems a little unhinged, but okay, fine. Yeah. So, you know, you see him, you know, creeping on her, doing being the peeping Tom, and you're like, okay, that is kind of weird, but, I, you know, boys will be boys. You know, again, trying to think of, like, the fresh 1960 mentality of seeing this movie then. But, uh, and then all of a sudden to see an elderly woman, in a way... Um, not seeing her face, it, it was blacked out, uh, and sha- I should say blacked out, not blacked out, shadowed. It was yeah. very much shadowed out. So you never saw, hence you never knew it was actually Norman wearing a wig and a robe. <laughs> but you can, you can but definitely make out that it should be a female yeah. killer. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the hairdo, I would say, was definitely more of a, like, an, a popular look uh amongst um you know elderly women i yeah. think just pulled back nice and simple librarians yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the bun yeah <laughs> sorry librarians sorry we love you yeah. I, I don't know why i came at you right then and there. but yeah it's like we you know, love our local libraries <laughs> tight little bun um 
But either, but immediately you're like, oh my god, that's an elderly woman. The only other elderly woman that was around was his mother. So his mother is psychotic. So would you agree with me that at that very moment where the shower curtain gets pulled back, we leave the film noir, and now we've entered question mark? I mean, it's a horror movie, mm-hmm. but for audiences in 1960 that are now, you know, crapping their pants, this would have been... Like, how could you have even handled this seeing it for the first time and you think you're watching something along the lines of you know dial him for murder or something like that something very noirish right and now all of a sudden you've got this this graphic although it's not kill and you're like what the fuck am i watching what is happening especially with that score that score really gets to you and and that's you know it, it makes the it sells the whole scene. So now Hitchcock is setting up his... He's laying the groundwork for his second big reveal and scare, which we'll get to with the corpse of, of Mother. Mm-hmm. But now now we've lost our protagonist, which is also completely unique for a film um, at, at this time. It would be... And she was a big name. Yeah. Like She had like top billing, I believe, besides I mean, Anthony Perkins. Janet and you're like, wait a second. Wait a second. She's literally carrying this movie on her shoulders for the first 40 minutes. Now she's murdered. And now she's gone. So it's like, well, now what? Well, now Norman's our protagonist. So I like what Hitchcock does here because, and agree or disagree, but I feel like, um, and I look, I just brought it up, but it also reminds me a lot of the talented Mr. Ripley. I mean, Matt Damon is protagonist in that movie from frame one. Mm-hmm. But we are because it's a great um, because it's a great anti-hero movie. This movie now we're not aware of it really until our second viewing. But now we have an anti-hero, but we think we're with the hero. Is he conflicted? Sure, but he's covering up for his mother, who he's been caring for. We're led to believe. Gets rid of Marion's body, and now Norma becomes our protagonist, and we're following along with him, and we're rooting for him. I mean, I would, I guess I shouldn't say we, <laughs> I'm rooting for Norman at this point because he's our, he is our protagonist now. Um, this who we're following. It's who we're spending time with. Now we have where I, I, the, the movie for me gets bumpy, although it's a classic and it's one of my favorites and I, I really do love it, but I just can't stand Sam and, and Lila. Really? They're, yeah, they're just like John and Jane beige, and uh, fuck them. <laughs> you know, I'd much, I'd much rather stay with creepy Norman, creepy voyeuristic bad boy Norman. Um, you know, look, they have every right to search for Marion Crane, you know, lover and sister of. Uh, but I, I don't know. And even as a kid, when I watched this movie, I was like, I just can't stand these two. Okay. It, it's a me problem, but. Okay. You know, look. They didn't bother me too much. I mean, they had they had their point of being there. Um, I do think that it was weird that Sam is like, oh yeah, I haven't heard from her like in a week, but that's normal, right? Sam is also the biggest con- condescending prick. Everything that Lila says, he's like, well, you're just a woman. Shut your mouth. That's wrong. Why would you want to do that? Dumb, dumb. You know, <laughs> the guy drives me friggin' nuts. And I'm like, and this guy we're supposed to root for? But anyway... Again, it's a me problem. But, <laughs> so uh, th- now uh, we have this ticking clock aspect, which I love. But we have them searching for Norman, and Norman 
trying to go about life as usual. Now we have one of my favorite characters in the movie is uh, Milton Arbogast. Yes. Played by the absolute gem, Martin Balsam. Oh, oh. Martin Balsam is so... Martin Balsam shows up in a movie, and he's such a good character actor that I immediately get happy. If you haven't seen The Taking of Pelham 123, that's got Robert Shaw as a guy who hijacks a, a train in New York City along with uh, his crew of, of uh, thieves, and Martin Balsam is in on it, and I don't want to... You know, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but if you haven't seen The Taking of Pelham 123 Sinners, add that to the list of movies. <laughs> now we're at six. You're at... You need to watch this week. <laughs> I think um, we might be at seven. He's just so friggin' good, and he's so good in this movie because he's, he kind of, he plays the maybe scuzzy private eye really well. Like, when he comes up against Norman, and Norman's so squeaky clean... And we don't know he's a killer at this point, and we kind of want Norman to get away with it. But Norman, like Marion, turns out to be the worst liar in history. Two people in cinematic history who really are very poor at hiding the truth <laughs> from people. <laughs> Marion Crane and Norman Bates. So when they have their um, their back and forth, Arbor Guest completely dominates Norman. And... Then Norman clicks, you know, I think that drives him to flip the, flick the switch. And then we, uh, you know, we have the demise of, of Arbogast. I was going to say, I love that scene too, oh, by the way. I was, I, was I was, I was excited to, to talk about that. So with him, you know, just saying like, there's, there's something weird. I think the mother knows something when he mentions her, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, he, and actually I remember now in H, uh, when we did our episode of H2O, I mentioned that, uh, Marion Crane looked up, um, and saw the mother in the window and it was um so i have to fix that now my apologies it was um you know uh, doc, uh detective arbogast who looked up and was like oh there's somebody in that house i maybe she saw something why is he being so protective of her and blah 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 so he takes it upon himself to enter the house and now i loved this scene so much because of how it's so um almost the kind of the same as the shower scene set up if you will um, again, using score, and sometimes score is all you need. Yeah. The right score to the right moment, anyway. So, it, it, it's it's just so eerily quiet. Yeah. And him walking up the steps, and now you have that downward projected shot, where you're just... And it, it creeps me out every single time. Like, because by the time he reaches the top of the stairs, and she just pops out of the room, and it's so simple. Like, it's not anything really that crazy it's nothing like any jump scares that we have today which all seems exactly the fucking same yeah oh you could almost go in a three and a two well, and a but it's this to this point now like, though when there are jump scares in movies and you read reviews of them they hold it against the movie they're like and then it just result you know just yeah went back to the same old jump scares typical goddamn jump scare and they put them all in the trailers and I, whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a tangent on that so i'm, I'm just gonna stop myself <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, gonna this is going to be another, another three-hour episode. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know why I loved that scene so much. And, and again, it was so simple but effective. And as soon as she comes out and just the scene of him just falling down the stairs that, uh, like, um... I don't know if it was... Is it a projected shot? I remember how they used I, to I, do I, it. I did a little research. It is rear projection, and it is... 
so good. It really is. It's so good. Right, but you pull, like, it's basically, they lean back on a chair and the camera kind of, like, yeah. it just it just pulls up. Um, which you actually can see that at, uh, oh my god, don't, I forget the park because I was a child. Uh, f- like, quick little fun fact. So we were talking about old, but it's an, it was a, a Hitchcock, uh, like, walkthrough little thing. I think I'm pretty sure it was at Universal Studios. Okay. And they had a little, they, they talked about those types of shots where, you know, someone's falling and how, how did they accomplish it back in the, the 50s and 60s. So my, because they, they have a little chair with a, uh, a camera that was, you know, pulled up. Okay. So, and my dad volunteered because <laughs> like, does anybody want to volunteer? And then they, that. and they played the scene for you for the, for the whole tour group to see so within two seconds. The Universal so, Studios tour. Yes. So my, and my dad volunteered and my dad did so well where he's like, ah! Sinners, I'm so jealous So right he now. had... I don't get to do anything and, and So I think whenever I see that scene, I think of my dad. You your dad. That's not weird at all. <laughs> that's completely normal. And sinners, so... that's why we end up here doing a podcast. <laughs> so just a fun little story for you. That is and dad, so if you're cool. listening, this is, this is your test to see if you actually listen. Oh my. Leave a comment, Dad. Leave a comment, Dad. That was me. <laughs> so, uh, dad but listens, yeah. I'm going to have to watch my language now. I... <laughs> Tell me your dad listens. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> but um, I digress. So, it, but yeah, I honestly really, it's a very close second. Uh, so obviously, the shower scene has to be a favorite just because. But this was a very close second um, the, scene the, that I love as there, well. There are tons of great examples of music being used effectively in movies and especially horror movies but the two that stand out to me bernard herman score for psycho and john williams score for jaws yeah because they're used like a truncheon they there's a lot of there's a lot of quiet time in psycho and then when that music hits it is seriously like someone just bludgeoning you with the score and it's used so well and i just i I just love the craftsmanship of it. Yeah, it you it know? it just you know what it is. It jolts your heart. Yeah, like this Hitchcock that's, guy's got a future. Let me tell that's you. That's what. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. going places. He's going places. It is. It's just. <laughs> it, I mean, and sinners. In case you forgot, it goes. <laughs> so again, this is not the soundtrack. It's my mouth. I'm doing. This. I know. I know you're impressed. <laughs> I know they are. All right. So so, so we'll, we'll 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 get to. We've got Arbogast is dead. Sam and Lila, um, uh, then they start their journey towards, you know, clue by clue, getting to the Bates Motel. And, um, you know, uh, again, they they have this plan where they're going to separate um, uh, Norman from uh, Lila. Lila is going to investigate the house to try and get the quote-unquote mother to spill the beans yeah cover, and then, cover more ground yeah yeah like how come we haven't heard from arbor gas it's been three hours so uh we, yeah so we'll just wrap this one up quick they, so they, we can they, get they... to the psychiatrist scene which <laughs> we do have to talk about which him. i do but i did I, I have a theory okay so um lila of course you know uh, goes down in the basement norman knocks sam out he, he is looking around the house uh, for Lila. Lila turns the chair around, and there's uh, Norman's desiccated corpse of the, the mother. Re- the reveal. The reveal. 
again, the idea to hit the light bulb. And she's been... The light is swinging. And she's been very dead. Oh, very dead. Like, she's not, like, just... Ten years, we find out ten years dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, but then, you know, Sam comes and saves the day before Norman can kill Lila. Then we end up in the sheriff's office. And then here is, here's what Pauline Kale said was Hitchcock's worst scene in his entire catalog. Was the like it, out of all the movies, of all the movies, it was you know it's well it, it's explaining it to the death. I have a and, theory, and I'm one. I, I I actually have my own theory as well. Okay, my but, theory, um, yeah, is that Hitchcock just came off of Vertigo, mm-hmm. and audiences were confounded by the end of Vertigo mm-hmm. because they weren't led by the nose to this is Jimmy Stewart's sexual deviance and obsession and they just left the theater it didn't perform well although many it, say that it's his it was ahead of because it was ahead of its time well ahead of that's its time a, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother conversation uh, but coming from I, I can totally see that because everyone was scratching their heads so I think it's twofold I think it's a little bit of studio involvement with the producers saying hey look you really gotta spell it out for them and I think it's Hitchcock then taking the piss and saying, if this is what you want, I am going to give you the brashest, <laughs> most, because I, I actually, I, I, I love this actor. Simon Oakland yeah. plays the the doctor at the end. Dr. Fred Richmond. Sinners, if you don't know who Simon Oakland is, and shame on you if you don't, because he is none other than Carl Kolchak. Darren McGavin's boss in the TV show The Night Stalker, which I will someday do an entire podcast series <laughs> based off of The Night Stalker. As a kid, I just loved this show so much. And Simon, uh, Simon, uh, uh, Oakland was uh, the uh, what, what's when you're a journalist, who's your boss? The editor, I guess he's the like he's the. Newspaper. How does journalism work? Boss. Yeah. How do things? <laughs> How do things do? work? <laughs> How does paper? Siri. How does paper? All right. So anyway, look, you're smarter than us, sinners. So right now you're screaming you, you at your know, radio. You know who that person is. It's called a formaldehyde. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> maybe the editor. I'll, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go yes. 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 <laughs> We're going to go with yes. So. He comes in and he does this explanation dump <laughs> as if he is closing the case in the movie Twelve Angry Men. As if he as if he was involved this entire time. Baby talked to Norman for seven minutes. And yeah, was like, like I know everything about this man. As a child, this is how he felt. And he like he's giving this exposition and these explanations, and he's literally performing to a jury and everyone's sitting around the room like this makes perfect sense doc (laughs) thanks so much for this wrap up thank you for clarifying and it does go on forever but i truly feel like hitchcock was like all right dum-dums you didn't get vertigo the producers are up my ass for just laying out a roadmap to wrapping this thing up in a bow i'm going to cram it up your ass sideways and if that's the case respect respect because yeah. he really is just taking the piss like yeah. all right if you didn't get it how about a neon sign that i press your face against because that's what the scene turns out to be i think it doesn't it doesn't really take me 
out of the movie because that final scene that we have with the voiceover of Norman being his mom mm-hmm. and I wouldn't hurt a fly and that slow camera pan towards him and then the look on Perkins' with that, face. With that smile. It's just so good. It's great. It's just so good. So yes. even though we had like this erratic, you know, explanation, the film ends on that shot and it works really well. It does work really well. He feels a little chill. Can I bring him this blanket? Sure. All right. that condemn her own son but I couldn't allow them to believe that I would commit murder they'll put him away now as I should have years ago he was always bad and in the end he intended to tell them I killed those girls and that man as if I could do anything except just sit and stare like one of his stuffed birds they know I can't even move a finger and I won't I'll just sit here and be quiet, just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see, and they'll know, and they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Give me your theory. I, well, yours shits on mine, so <laughs> I'm just gonna go with, I actually now more agree with you, um, but what This I is was... my revenge for you convincing me that H2O <laughs> isn't a, actually a good movie. Damn it! Yes. Yes. <laughs> because that does make sense, but, you know, because, but, but to be fair, I, I did forget that he came from Vertigo, like, it's, and I, I did forget about that whole debacle, I forgot that it was- I had no um, idea the Vertigo didn't do well. So, uh, yeah, I, for, I forgot about the segue from- vertigo to to this movie so i I, honestly i was just gonna say i think it was just because it was 1960 and why would a man dress up as oh yeah (laughs) killing other women boy we gotta explain that away especially (laughs) his mother because um you know so i i just i and uh, i'm not trying to you know no i'm not trying to make fun of anybody that you know i like your theory (laughs) i like your theory that it's like well, gentlemen, don't worry at all about your sexual hangouts. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but I just, I, I really think that was more of like a hush-hush thing for if you were into, you know, into that. Obviously now it's it's much more prominent, you know, be free. And it, and it's, um, I don't even want to say be free. We're going to have to fix that in post. But, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's, it's, it's more accepted now. And I just don't think it was accepted then. Like, all of it is insane. Like, not only is this man dressing up as as a um, as a woman, but oh my god, he's dressing up as his mother, yeah. and he's killing women. And obviously, that was taken from Ed Gain. Uh, yeah, oh, we should say yeah, based on Ed Gain that, and the, and that the was taken, Robert Block which, novel Psycho. Right, yes, yeah. which which is a great uh, uh, book, by the way. Wait, which uh, it's yeah, okay, nineteen fifty seven. It came out. Okay, and he. Um, 
I'm actually segueing out of what I was saying. You, you get Jan, what I'm saying. Shannon says I have to buy more books. <laughs> Sorry, Jan. Okay. Help me out. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's a fantastic... It's, of all the books to own, come on, you should own that one. Hello. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to shame me on her own podcast? I'm so ashamed now. <laughs> but... But it's, I forgot what I was talking. <laughs> well, the Ed Gain aspect of it, I think you read the book, so it's probably is it more prevalent in the novel because this doesn't feel like very honest. Is it Gain or Gain? Ed I thought Gain? it was Gain. I think it's Gain. It's Gain. It, this this movie didn't feel very Ed Gain to me, even though I totally know that it's based off that. Mm, just um, that one thing, honestly. The uh, it, it, taxidermy. Dress, dressing up as his mom, the taxidermy, yeah. and the um, the. The murdering. The mur- okay. <laughs> Even though Ed Gein only only took two lives. Really? He only took two. He was more of a grave robber. Ooh, that's like a Mandela effect for not, me right he, there. Yeah, he did not like it, really. He, uh, he I didn't thought he care. killed like half the town. No, he collected like half the town. Okay. Skulls, soup bowls. Okay. That's, again, a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> but no, so it's wait, a great... Wait, so we're tiptoeing into <laughs> Shannon's eventual second podcast <laughs> because she knows so much about true crime. We're going to have to, yeah. We may have to segue a few times. I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be some movies that will help segue us. Oh, I was going to say, we're going to have like five podcasts <laughs> yeah. by the time this is over. I'm, and to, I'm, 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 I'm here quit. for all of them. I'm going to have to quit my job. Yeah. <laughs> How we're gonna live? I don't know, but we'll, we're gonna talk till. We're gonna start a Patreon and we're gonna charge twelve thousand dollars a membership. <laughs> you hear that, sinners? Come on. Everyone's going. Yeah, no. Help us out. No, no, no. I'm gonna keep listening for free on Spotify. <laughs> but uh, no, the book. The book is. Um, I think the. I, the, he takes the story from the book. Okay. And and um, actually, so uh, another marketing little uh, fun fact when he was doing this. So if you were interested at the time uh, to see the movie, and, and if you knew it came from Robert Bloch's book, and you were interested in buying the book, you couldn't. <laughs> because Hitchcock actively went out. Or at least it's possible he focused more so on where he, the the movie was, uh, you know, the theatric setting, uh-huh. and he, but he would go into bookstores and buy all of the books. What the to hell? hide them, so nobody knew the twist ending. Oh, all he, right, the, the lengths he went to right. to market this movie. So yeah, so you couldn't go in once the movie started if you showed up late. And you, please don't spoil it, obviously. That was a given. And yeah, you're not reading about it because we don't even want you to know. God, we want ingenious. you. We want you to experience it. So yeah, you that. couldn't buy this book. I love that. To save your life. <laughs> and think about it. It's 1960. So, you know, the, I guess the publicists are calling up around town and they're just like, buy the two copies that are in, you know, whatever town. Mm-hmm. And then you complete your mission. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. Good on you, Hitchcock. Right? So technically, sales of the book went, ba-ching! <laughs> because Hitchcock bought them all. I don't know what he did with them afterwards. I I, I think it would have been smart if he handed them out yeah. to the, the moviegoers after the movie was done. That would have been smart, but I'm, I honestly have no idea what happened to those. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. I know this is so, this is like, you know, left turn, but uh, top three Hitchcocks, what do you got? Oh, God. Well, obviously, this one... I would, I would say this one, Birds and Vertigo. You know what? Oh, you know what? Damn it, but I still like Dialing for Murder and Rear Window. Damn it! I don't know. Rear Window. Mm. Vertigo. Mm. 
birds and psycho are right now ooh, it's it's a horse race mm-hmm it's hard it's that that's a top three that's that's very difficult oh boy yeah oh boy oh boy oh boy i don't know maybe maybe we'll know more when we when we do like a deeper dive into each film again but. i'm gonna go psycho right now because i just watched it and yeah. then we'll do a birds episode and i'll change and then i'll change my mind yeah and i've seen birds in in uh uh, theatrically, they, uh, they it's coming to... out uh, next month. Uh, oh. Fathom Events are, oh, are doing the the birds. Fun. So sinners, look, th this uh, episode is going to be posted in a couple of weeks, but you'll still be able to see the birds in the theater. It's going to be released wide in October. Check your local theaters. Check Fathom Events, uh, F A T H O M events, events. and find out <laughs> where it's playing. I'm actually doing Fathom Events today. I'm going to go see Christine. Carpenter's nice. Christine. Oh, I definitely... Oh, damn it. I, should, I wanted to see that. It's playing Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Okay. Check it out. Okay. Check it out, sinners. Do so, it. All right. That's, that, that's the film right there. Mm -hmm. um, just want to talk about a couple of things. Okay, so we talked about the psychiatrist scene and my theory and your theory. Your uh, seen the movie three much times. <laughs> the fact that in 1960, like the... The uncorking of... Because there are definitely movies that you can pull from that have sex and violence as a... You know, that are prevalent. But I feel like this was so... It was so in your face. Mm -hmm. And it was so unapologetic about it. It was. That it was just... That Hitchcock was like, yeah, we're all creeps. You're a creep. I'm a yeah. creep. I made you a creep watching this movie. You didn't come here thinking that, but you're complicit now. Yeah. And you, you like and force fed it. You're I think. walking your car and you're like, am I a creep? What are these feelings? Uh, I think I'm going to go see the movie again. <laughs> and, and boy, oh boy, if you were on a first date with a guy. Oh, right. Like how looking about, at him. <laughs> how about you're a teen boy? Yeah. Like do you have a peephole? Like how many times do you think you saw this movie trying to catch a peek of Janet Lee? Mm -hmm. And like, I think I saw something. I think I saw something. Guess what? You didn't. I mean, you're like 90 now, so you probably have seen a naked woman by now. Or not. I don't know. No judgment. But, like, just from the teen boy aspect of sneaking in that movie, because, I mean, could you get it? There was It was all general admission in 1960. The rating board hadn't made GPGRX. Yeah. It didn't exist. I don't think it existed but yet. But, like, your body... Because now it's rated R, I think. It Maybe. I th I'm pretty sure this is considered rated R. But could you imagine? But like back then, I actually don't know. You're in your friggin' Keds, and you just rode your bike, your <laughs> 1960s bike, which weighs 70 pounds, you know, and and you're like, hey, one for Psycho, <laughs> and they're like, fuck off, creep, you <laughs> little weirdo. <laughs> I mean, but ha if you were a kid and you saw this movie, I'm look, I'm saying kid but i mean me <laughs> i would have seen that movie five million times yeah for the shower scene because you wouldn't wouldn't have seen anything like it it would have unlocked these feelings that are so they're they're so attached to the horror genre of sex and death Oh, okay. even even what we were saying earlier, though, like just seeing her in lingerie. Oh, you're for... stealing it. Oh, sorry. that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> All right, Shannon, you tell me, is this the is this the, the prototype for sex gets you killed in horror movies? Oh, I didn't really think. Hmm. They, she has and it's not illicit sex. Sam is divorced, but it is illicit sex in 1960. Yeah, you shouldn't be. 
She could, you yeah, know, fooling should... around with divorced men. Yeah. And you had sex in a cheap motel room. And then you took it on the lamb, toots, and you sold 40 grand. And now we're going to get you. And now you're on the run, right? Yeah. <laughs> ah, here's a knife right in your belly. You know? so, now you're on the run from the fuzz. You had it coming, hussy. So, like, is this, this feels like, this feels like the unwrapping of a gift. Oh. Okay, so the well, well, so they exploit this more in in Cabin in the Woods, right? Where like the whore has to go first. It's a trope. It is literally a trope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. What you're thinking? Why like... am I only thinking that? Well, actually, no, I'm not thinking. I'm accepting it because you're saying it. I didn't say that. But how come I didn't think of that before? I, I already stated we're not good at our job. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like I feel. Wow. All right. Homework for me and you. Okay. Eventual. And I'm not saying it's next week, Sinners. We make the rules here. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to do a little research. Shannon's going to do a little research. We're going to find out if there was anything, because there could be there could be some some little Italian film or Spanish film, you know, or something coming out of Mexico during the 50s that, that taps into this. Gosh, dang it. I mean, I really do have to find out which got released first, Peeping Tom or Psycho. Because you're going to watch Peeping Tom, and you're going to be like... It, they're definitely months apart. But you're going to watch Peeping Tom, and you're going to be like, boo whoa, this... We thought we had a neon sign with Psycho. There's like, uh... What's it called? The Fafuzula? The... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's Peeping Tom compared to Psycho. Uh, it's the Goodyear blimp of, hey, how do we like our sex and death? Real creepy. <laughs> and you know you love it because you love horror movies. Um, are we, uh, should we button hook this with our, what we're going to be posting on, uh, after this episode? Which we determined is going to be... Did we determine... Did we say? Wait, hold on. Did we? No, we well, didn't. No, no we, we didn't. didn't. No, no, we didn't. Because, we... no, how, how about I say this and not this so we what we did determine was by the time this posts it's pretty much going to be at the end of september right so we are here because you're listening to this now (laughs) at the end of september so we are very excited because we actually have our october movies planned out and honestly I'm, i'm i'm more excited just to put it out there yeah no spoilers yeah um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to tell you what they are. So obviously they'll, they'll drop week to week, but we have literally the whole month covered and I'm just, I'm just so darn excited. You're going to like them. Yeah. Hands down. You're going to like them. Uh, but the less said, the better. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it as a surprise. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast. We're going to leave you with just another, just our socials again. Please find us. To listen on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Music, uh, sorry, on Amazon Music, on Google Music, and Stitcher, and we're on Instagram at at Sinful Cuts. Sinful Cuts, C I N E dash F U L C U T S. There might be an underscore somewhere. I don't remember. Yeah, but or a dot. Can, you can find us. Yeah, you, you, we're we're there. We're def- there. Please find us on uh, Instagram because, you know, we're posting content and we'd love to see your comments and we'd love to see your suggestions, too, yeah. for future episodes. You can also email us, too, uh, sinfulcuts at gmail.com. That's sinfulcuts at gmail.com. And that is the end of our episode. Take a swish at it. That's a cut. <laughs>
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.